Welcome to Mox TV Talk, the podcast where we take a loving, longing look at TV and tell you this week, a nation mourned after news former Australian cricket captain and long-standing captain of the most iconic commentary team passed away. Richie Benno, known by one generation for his wicked left arm spin and another as the face and voice of Knight's cricket coverage, died in his sleep after a long battle with cancer. His depth of knowledge along with his wit will be missed by cricket fans globally, especially now the new standard is Shane Warne asking players how drunk they'll get after a game. Since the dawn of time, man has searched far and wide for the best things on TV. What to watch. How to watch. Who's watching what. Free to wear this. VPN that. Plug in and listen to what other people think about what you are and are not watching. It's Mox TV Talk, the podcast, with your host, Steve Mock. I am your host, Steve Mock, and joining me this week, a man who has written for and appeared on Irrational Fear in the Roast and now fronts a weekly news satire for The Guardian Australia, a regular on ABC News Breakfast and devoted Eurovision fan, a man who once was the host of the only podcast made by a TV show, it's Australian TV royalty Mark Humphreys. My goodness, did I do all that? Once. Oh. I think you did some of it What's once. The <laughs> I'm glad you put Eurovision in there. That's the main thing I'm going for at the moment. I'm really just hanging out for Julia and Sam to uh, kick the bucket or I will kick it for them. Uh, Sam Payne can um, get pushed off a cliff really easily. <laughs> He's not very I big. I love them. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I, but there can be only one. You want to swoop in, uh, is what I'm so, hearing. That is exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just it's just it's the biggest party on earth. I, I, I would love to uh, be a part of that. What do you make of the controversy surrounding not only Australia competing but Guy Sebastian as our contestant? Uh, as for the question about whether Australia should compete, I just think it's a bit weird. Not just in terms of Australia not being part of Europe, but I think in terms of the way that Australians um, consume Eurovision mm-hmm. uh, and in the sense that a lot of us watch it ironically and I think there's something now, you know, we enjoy making fun of uh, the competitors from the various countries and I just wonder, are we ready to be made fun of ourselves mm. in the same way and will we make fun of Guy and or whoever it is that we send year on year if there are future years. Um, so I think just our relationship to Eurovision will be affected by this. Our enjoyment of it might be impacted it to, a, to a certain extent. Not radically, but just it's, it's, it's just something which I, I, I feel a little bit funny about. As for Guy himself, I, you know, I am no Guy Sebastian fan, but uh, when I was, I was at the announcement um, of uh, Guy Sebastian as our <gasps> contestant and he um <laughs> and he performed uh a song which he would look he's terrific he 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 just he, man he the guy he's can very sing talented. And play that's it exactly he is our australian idol <laughs> uh and uh, <laughs> so and then the song itself that he's come up with i think is fun and catchy and you know well it won't necessarily win but it won't the big thing for me is it won't embarrass us. Mm. We're not sending something ridiculous. We're not taking the piss. Um, so in the way that sometimes England has. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm actually quite happy with the decision. I know. And I look down the line, if we come back, then sure, we can send in all sorts of, you know, more interesting choices. Yeah, he's a little bit bland. But for the moment, he's not going to embarrass us. So put on a good show. 
and he might just help us get over the line and get you know another invite. I'm very pro Rolf Harris for 2026. <laughs> you know, there was something funny yesterday. I saw Peter Ford retweeted something. It's the sort of thing that Peter Ford retweets, mm. and it was this. Uh, it was the Sun headline in the UK, and it said, "I think the headline was Pedo Rolf Harris is raking it in in prison." And there was just something about actually seeing the words Pedo and Rolf Harris next to each other that kind of. I don't know, finally made it real. Mm. I don't know, there's something weird about it. It was was such a strange thing as, you know, as an Australian to have grown up with him and to see that transition or see the revelation, I suppose. Um, What an extraordinary turn of events. So much innocence lost, so many wobble boards hung up, never to be played again. (laughs) (laughs) We'll go with that. Yes. I think, Mark, look, pleasantries <laughs> aside, it's time to get into the deep part of this. Malk's TV Talk, the podcast. But first, the news. The makers of The Simpsons have announced they'll no longer release seasons of the primetime animated series as DVD box sets after the current release of season 17. Citing declining sales due to the digitization of everything, upset fans will have to console themselves with continual repeats on Eleven and Fox 8. <laughs> Can I just say something about that? Yes. I'm one of those people that buys the seasons mm. uh, on DVD year in year out, and I am one of those. <clears throat> uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not picketing the, or anything, but I just, I, I, I'm slightly, I'm slightly annoyed by it because there is something. Uh, by I don't know. I, by my nature, I'm a bit of a collector, mm. and I quite like having. Dare I say you know, it, the hoarder. visual of. Yeah, sure, to a, to an extent, <laughs> and I like I like to be able to see you know seasons one through you know, 26 or whatever it ends up being, uh, lined up back to back. I get, yeah, financially maybe it's not best for them, but now I've got this sort of, you know, bastardized. Incomplete collection. Incomplete, exactly. Taunting you from the shelf. Mm. (laughs) Tell me, were you collecting just the uh, the normal boxes or the ones with the Simpsons character bubble outside? Those were were dumb. I mean, that's the the packaging. I used to work in a video store Mm. and there were certain videos which just did not fit on the shelf. <laughs> and they um, were there. there was, I can't, and that's one of those things, you know. I, I appreciate the idea. Yeah, it's kind of creative. I think it's uh, one thing that annoyed me is that that was something that they introduced in like season five or six. Mm. So there's no – so that I think that doesn't exist for the first few seasons. I might be wrong, but I think No, that, that is correct. True. I've got the first eight seasons and realized right. at that point that I went, you know what, I could keep buying these, but I'm not really going to ever watch all of them. So, mm. eh. I got the best seasons as yeah. far as I'm concerned. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, this, the upcoming seasons, it's not the end of the world that I don't have them. But I do. I'm one of those people who listen to those commentaries religiously. I think they're fantastic. Uh, so, oh, it's a shame that they're not going to continue with those. That's something that I'm slightly concerned about just in general with um, streaming services and digitization, what have you, is that commentaries is something that seems to have been left by the wayside to a large extent. There have been some mm. that have done it. I know that like House of Cards season one, I think, had some commentaries on Netflix. But other than that, it's becoming quite rare. And I've and I've got I spent many <laughs> my waste I wasted my youth listening to, you know, the commentaries yeah. of Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, <laughs> and other things. So it's actually very good. Christopher Columbus, you know, clearly wrote notes before he went into the uh, the booth. Uh, so. <laughs> the only time he ever wrote anything. Oh, you know, Columbus had a great period. There was a great period for Christopher Columbus. Yeah, between um, June 1983 and June 1984. 
Oh, but you, you weren't a fan of Home Alone? Or yeah, Home, Home Alone 1, sure. Like the original. Sure. It, it was the you know, law yeah. of diminishing returns. How many times can mm. one kid be caught up in wacky situations where he has to kill people? <laughs> it is remarkably violent. It's something which, watching it back recently, I was like, oh, that's, that's actually really... No, that's not. That's 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 awful. That's that's uh, that would cause a lot of permanent, like brain damage or something. If, you know, if like, Home yeah. Alone one actually happened in real life, the kid would tour like the talk circuit with Ellen and Oprah forever. He would be a, a rock star, <laughs> and the Joe totally. the Joe Pesci and, and uh, Stern characters would need some serious reconstructive surgery. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. So anyway, Columbus for me, he had his moment. It was Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Mrs. Doubtfire, and then, you know, then there was, what, the first two Harry Potter movies and then Rent and then I think I Love You, Beth Cooper, and now I don't know mm. what he's doing. And look, and it, you can tell watching back uh, across the Harry Potter movie uh, empire, you know, if you want to do nine, do it every other month, so tune in, people. Um, <clears> there's <throat> He was working with young kids, so and a script that was – you know, we're only going to grab this one storyline, maybe have the B plot. You know, when there's seven threads in the books, we can only have two. Uh, and mm. the kids weren't great actors. So I think he did the best he could. And it was good <laughs> for him to hand off after that second film. Otherwise, you know, totally. the Deathly Hallows would be a very broad mix of, you know, you'd have mm. um, uh, the lady that plays uh, Professor McGonagall, what's her name? Maggie Smith. Maggie, Maggie Dame Smith. Maggie Smith, thank you. Um, uh, you know, <laughs> drop, dropping into, oh, oh, dear. It'd be Robin Williams, yeah, on acid. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really actually a remarkable achievement what they did with the Harry Potter franchise mm-hmm. to, to have it transfer from essentially, yeah, children's films to things that, you know, that grown got serious would feel comfortable. Yeah, oh, yeah. The books absolutely. got darker. Yeah. They had to, you know, be able to mm. transmute and all of those sorts of things. It's uh, I actually quite liked them. I like the way they brought them to life. Mm. I still like rereading the books though, but that's just me. Okay. That's all right. Now let's continue if I may. Please. More sad news with the realisation this week that Gogglebox rounds out season one this Wednesday on Lifestyle Channel and Thursday on 10. The new format to Australia has been a success for the joint venture and is yet to be confirmed for a second series. When asked about the season renewal, a 10 spokesman said they were planning a spin-off that featured people watching only Channel 10 shows titled The Biggest Loser. <laughs> Bravo. Five stars. I feel like I'm taking your job, Mark. This is... I love it. No, please. You should be doing... Why, why was I doing this for three <laughs> oh, years? That's... No, that's a great line. Nobody oh, shouts headlines like Mark Humphreys does. <laughs> Oh, no, that's that's great writing. I'll be in touch. <laughs> Thank you. Final one. <laughs> While on 10, they announced that not only is The Biggest Loser returning for a 10th series again with families and that it'll do it without longtime host Hayley Lewis. New host Fiona Faulkner came in fourth in the very first season of The Biggest Loser and has since been working as a plus-sized model and spokesperson. Known for her time on the show as a sook, Faulkner offered she'd be able to relate well to the new contestants as nobody will remember them after their season either. (laughs) Oh, this is great stuff. That's all I have. Three bits of news, hopefully written into some form of hilarity. Yeah, I endorse that. That's great. Yeah, no, I I didn't even even know. 
I heard that the host had changed, but I didn't hear who it had changed to. And now that you've told me, I've already forgotten. Yeah. Um, so. The Biggest Loser went <laughs> on for, some would say, 10 seasons too many. But given that it's the 10th season this year, for mine, it really lost momentum about three or four seasons ago. Roughly speaking, about when uh, Tiffany Hall, the white ninja, um, stepped away from the oh, yeah. program. Now, so the white ninja is that? What does that refer to? Well, that is was that her. What, what her name? I guess her persona as one of the coaches on the show. Her focus was very much around martial arts as a part of her training regime, and she's a black belt in seventy things. And now, Mrs. Ed Cavalli. Yeah, wasn't she one of the revived gladiators? Or she was one of the wasn't gladiators. Yeah, angel or something like that. Oh, I don't know. Could have been, you know, Machiavelli for all I care. I don't really. <laughs> Can't remember back that far and wasn't that into it to start with. I was excited about the revival of Gladiators and then I saw about a minute of it and I remembered, oh, yeah, it's just terribly camp. And, uh, <laughs> and it's, just, it's like, you know, wrestling or something. It just doesn't doesn't really work in Australia. Yeah, no, not at all. And it, it, there's been some growth with a, a recent uh, WWE something happening on the in America's uh, some big controversy where The Undertaker lost, you know, and, and his unbeaten run came to an end and the look on the faces of some of the rednecks in the crowd suggested to me <laughs> that they can't even read. <laughs> Completely unrelated, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I, uh, yeah, I have nothing to say about wrestling other than uh, I don't get it. <laughs> Stepping away from the controversy, Mark Humphreys. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Follow Malk on Twitter at Malk's TV Talk. Mark, on Malk's TV Talk, the podcast, uh, seasoned listeners will realise we do like to drop in uh, a little bit of a test, a challenge for our, our guests. Uh, and I've got mm-hmm. one for you. This segment is called For Reels. Mm. Now, Mark, <laughs> this is where we challenge you and your reality television knowledge, which may be sparse to none, but that makes it all the better. <laughs> Okay. Are you ready for your top five reality TV questions for this week? You know, I could watch all the reality shows in the world and I would never be ready for this. Uh, um, okay, fire, fire away. This will make it even better. Question one, who won Kitchen Week on the block? Darren. I think it's fair to say the producers did, but good attempt. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I, I have no idea. Which show was that? My Kitchen Rules? No, The, the Block. Sorry. Who won Kitchen Week already, on My Kitchen Rules? Got the sponsors did. Okay, cool. Right, question two. Who is Drasco? Uh, that is Darren Rasco. <laughs> <laughs> All my answers are Darren, I think. I think he's some uh, is he doctor? Is he, is he Dr. Asco? Um, <laughs> Dr. Asco. <laughs> That's going to be uh, his super no villain name, that's for sure. Is he? Is he? Is he Draco Malfoy's Malfoy's mildly retarded sibling? <laughs> well, dude, um, you definitely got part of that right. He is a contestant on My <laughs> Kitchen Rules, uh, and he, okay. in fact, on Sunday night was uh, in the uh, the cook off. He and his uh, fiance now Drasco is championing himself as a, a, a wannabe chef. He, you know, he wants to. He's taking this opportunity because he wants to show that Pete Manu that he uh, he has the has what it takes to be a chef, and so he's trying all sorts of wanky things like uh, sardines and pig's ears uh, was their entree, mm. uh, and people actually ate that, which is interesting. What you'll do to be on TV these days? 
I, I don't I don't watch My Kitchen Rules and I don't I used to watch MasterChef and one thing that I did enjoy about MasterChef was that whenever um they were doing like an elimination challenge they would even even in like season 3 or 4 mm. or what have you they would show the clip of Pete Evans being beaten by a contestant in season one. I always felt that was like a subtle jab, but like the loser from this show now hosts that, that more popular show on Channel 7. Oh, it's uh, subtle dig every time. I do, I, yeah, and I'm with you. And, and that's as much as anything, a bit of the dig. But look, the, the iconic MasterChef does return again this season, uh, this year. Mm. Uh, and I, they're saying, oh, look, they've reinvented themselves off the back of last year and it's all going to be spectacular and and as someone who takes uh great delight in uh live tweeting masterchef just because it's so easy to uh to find the moments of comedy and to to bring out your own characters because that's all the producers are doing right they're taking the contestants and turning their experience into a a character itself and you know how will Mm. such and such survive when last time everything fell apart and all that things yeah I was in a bookshop the other day and I saw a what I think shop? his name was a book a bookshop. They're still around, Steve. Um, uh, it was. I'm unfamiliar saw... with the term. <laughs> it's uh, it's you know ebooks. It's like if you uh, if you uh, just you know destroyed an entire rainforest so you could have the same experience. Do the pictures um, in these books move? <laughs> not the ones that I was looking at. No, um, but. Kumar, I think his name was Kumar, mm. and he had been on season three or something. And there was that weird moment of like, oh, I know you. And I was sort of found myself moving towards him. And then I was like, what am I going to say? Oh, you, it looked like it looked <laughs> like you cooked well. I, I you know, I, that, I, I'm guessing that tasted nice, the thing you did. Um, <laughs> so I just, I just let him go. And uh, yeah, I don't know what it's like to, it must be strange coming out of an experience like that. I really love the flavors that I couldn't taste. That's it. That's it. Question three. What is the name of the new reality show coming soon to nine? Um, oh, that's, that's got to be Married at First Sight, isn't it? Oh, that correct. That, that is one of the new reality shows coming to nine. Oh, there's nine. more than one. Oh, of course, but nine. Okay. All They've right. got them backed up, then Mark. It's... Yes, Married at First Sight is coming soon. The one I was looking for is Renault Rumble, but let's talk quickly about Married at First Sight. Now, this popped up Please. as a, a, a topic or a, a reference in your latest uh, roast headlines for The Guardian in Australia. Um, what do you know about Meredith's First Sight? What can you tell us? Uh, two strangers uh, <laughs> who are desperate to get married. Mm. I think the woman, I think, the, I think it starts with the woman. They then bring a panel of experts. Experts, of course, is an in inverted commas, mm. uh, and who then um, use algorithms or something to, to pick, uh, to choose an appropriate partner for her and then is this the Scientologist? yeah you know actually i just watched going clear yesterday um the documentary about scientology but um yeah there's there is something a bit uh cultish about this yeah so that's my general understanding uh i can't imagine why you'd sign up for this and after all these years of you know like yasmin's getting married Mm. i mean maybe that's the mm, i don't know why we're still obsessed with having people get married very quickly i don't know why that's so important (laughs) If we can involve some sort of challenge um, ahead yeah. of them getting married without them actually meeting someone, I think that would be, I can't, yeah, it would be That's the it. pinnacle for nine there. Mm. Yeah. I think it's like they want to kind of replicate that soap opera experience where char- characters can meet and, 
you know, get married very quickly and, and then and then die. I think that's what, yeah, that's that's the next show. You're dead at first sight. Um, yeah. What caused this anyway. person to cark it? Um, yeah. the, the interesting thing about Married at First Sight is that they, they put on a massive ceremony right at the start and at the altar is where the, the potential bride and groom do meet for the very first time after both being interviewed and analysed and, you know, the, these experts match them together. Uh, they go through a commitment ceremony. So it's not a wedding. Under Australian law, you can't get married without having met each other. You actually have to put in paperwork uh, ahead of time and all of those sorts of things. Thanks, Josh Withers, for teaching me that. All um, oh, right. Okay. So they don't get married, but get, you know, commitment ceremony at first sight never really has the same ring or controversy. No. Uh, but they do then live no, together no. like they're married. And then at the end of the time, however long that is, they're both put the question do you want this to continue, i.e. do you want to actually get married now? Oh, yeah, okay. That's not as exciting, is it? (laughs) (laughs) That show should just be called The Big Lie. Um, Yeah. Otherwise known as marriage. Oh, hello. Uh, I couldn't possibly say. Uh, Sorry, my wife has just left the room. Um, Yeah, so, no, screw that. No, not watching. Thank you. Bye. Cool. Question four. Why was Shayna upset with Darren and Dee on the block? Hang on. There actually is a Darren. Yes, there is a Darren. (laughs) My goodness. Why was Shayna upset upset with Darren and and what? Dee. Uh, and that's a person? Yes, his wife. Um, <laughs> oh, because I reckon because their bathroom probably leaks onto her bedroom. That's, is that it? Look closer than you'd think. Uh, Shana is one okay. of the judges and she was involved in some controversy in during Kitchen Week, which we've just experienced on the block, where Darren and Dee wanted to change the way their kitchen fit depending, you know, based on the architect's plans and those sorts of things. She came in to help broker some peace. And they went against her wishes entirely afterwards. Shana and Darren. These sounds like this, like parodies of Australian names. I don't... I'll have you know oh, God. that Shana Blaze is a well-respected interior designer and judge on the block and co-host on Selling Houses Australia. No one shall speak ill of Her Royal Highness Shana Blaze, okay, Queen sure. of the Throne. That's the thing, yeah. Fast forward 30 years and she's getting the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Logies. Okay, mm. gotcha. Shana, I'll look out for her. Yes, her name will be in lights forever. <laughs> Question five. What is the name of Seven's upcoming reality show to replace My Kitchen Rules? Uh, Darren's Dream Renovations. Almost. It's called House Rules. Okay. See how easy this is? Sure. You don't have to know anything. Yeah. No, that's good. Much much like the people who make these programs. You got a potential um, wow. Ouch. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I should tuck my uh, opinions back into my pants. Uh, is that what I meant to say? You can do. Anyway. Lots of people make yeah. a good living out of prostituting other people's lives on television for the rest of us. <laughs> Great. You know, I wanted. To, I don't know if you want to talk about this for a second because yes. it is TV related. You mentioned Richie Benno at the start. And I was thinking... How he's one of the last, well, there are others, but I think like he's one of the last Channel 9 personalities. And I, and I was thinking about how 9 really was the one network that cultivated the network personality mm. and how it doesn't really, I feel like it doesn't really exist today. I don't know, like if you had to say who, are, you know, if you had to look at the, the great Channel 10 personalities, I wouldn't know what to say. 
um, or Channel Seven. I'd kind of reluctantly say Koshy, but like you know, you know what I mean. Like yeah. Nine, I feel like was Brian Henderson and Ray Martin and yeah, the the yeah, the cricket commentary team. I feel like there's not that thing doesn't really exist on other networks. I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but just an observation. Well, no, entirely fair. In fact, it, it recently, I think it was last week on Media Watch, David Gingell sat down with uh, mm. Paul Barry and talked about you know the future of free-to-air television and those sorts of things. And one of the things that uh, Gingell brought up was uh, the, the, the conversation that you know networks need to have uh, these brand, iconic brand kind of uh, people involved with them. And he, he listed... People like Laurie Oakes, Richie Benno, uh, and mm. I think he threw Peter Overton in there as well, reasonably so, though he didn't mention his wife or any of the other females that work at the network. But they do tend to be very much around uh, that news focus. You know, gone are the days when you could have said, well, as you mentioned, Ray Martin when he was hosting Midday or, or, or even A Current Affair. Um, uh, Dow Summers would have reasonably been declared yes. uh, one of those same kind of brands for nine. But, yeah, now it's it's news or get out of here. Because really, I mean, Scott Cam's mm. a nice guy, but do you put him in that same echelon? Uh, well, I mean, what a world that we live in that, 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 that you could say the phrase, gold leggy winner Scott Cam. Um, yeah, I, something about that interview that amused me was, um, was when uh, Gingell uh, used the word mediocrity. <laughs> Was, his, was the word. And I, I like that Channel 9 can't even spell or pronounce mediocrity. That's like, that's, not only do they, they, uh, they can produce it, but they, God damn it, they can't say it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, uh, uh, I, sorry, I'm now thinking about Daryl. And whenever I hear the word Daryl Summers, I, I go down a, a little uh, wormhole. So, oh, we can go uh, down that wormhole. <laughs> we are a hey-hey free zone on most of you. Well, I was but... very excited to, to read that he, um, he'll be performing in... Bankstown in Sydney at a 300-seat theatre for a a production of Hot Shoe Shuffle. Uh, So uh, I'm tempted to go and see what that is like. I would just love to be a fly on the wall for the rehearsals. It's a very young cast. Mm. I just love to imagine Daryl with all his, you know, worldliness and expertise passing it on (laughs) to, you know, a bunch of 20-somethings. And, um, yeah, I'm fascinated by Daryl. I think he's... I love his contribution to television, even though you know it, it, it was you know had, had its you know it had its flaws. Um, but just the stories I've heard you know about him behind the scenes, mm. uh, I loved. I remember listening to the these special features on the McAuliffe Tonight DVDs <laughs> where Tony Martin Tony Martin mentioned that Daryl would uh, even after Hey Hey was cancelled, that Daryl would still go to the Channel 9 hairdresser for a free haircut. Of course he would. Um, yeah. Anyway, not, I'm not here to bag out Daryl. He's done very I well. I know I am. Uh, there Never before <laughs> has there been a man who has more clung to the past than a guy who mm. decided to create his own pay-per-view website for a TV show <laughs> that was live and really existed in that moment on television, never did well, well in re-watching. Uh, sorry, go on. Yeah, you you Mark, did you know you can pay? You can sign up to watch every episode of Hey Hey online now. You know that I know this. I know uh, that you, you know this, and it scares I me that I we're not doing anything about it. I mean, apart from picketing out the front of JB against the Simpsons box set closure, which all two people <laughs> will be doing, what we should be doing is virtually campaigning to shut that shit down. Well, the funny thing was is that when it was announced, and I think he went on 
a current affair or what have you. And it was it was him specifically saying, well, you know, a lot of these streaming services are, you know, they're $10 a month. And this is this is just, I think, $6 a month. And it's like, yes, Daryl, but yours is one show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you totally missed the point. So I just think, God, I mean, like if, if Hey Hey had just worked out some deal with Stan or something, mm. Then, fine. but just look, I, I'm fascinated by. I, I love nostalgia, and I grew up on Hey Hey. I have a different view of it now as an adult than I did as a child. But I certainly enjoyed. It. I think live entertainment. I think what Daryl was trying to achieve in terms of live music, live comedy. I, I think it's so actually is so now in the sense of as far as TV. Like uh, David Gingell was talking about, TV needs to be appointment television. That you know that's what live entertainment is that's how you make something appointment television you make it live now i'm not saying you should bring back hey hey but i do admire what daryl was trying to achieve and so i would be quite happy to re-watch you know old clips and, and episodes but certainly not exclusively as some you know ongoing you know financial commitment uh, i'd be fascinated to know the, the figures on how many people have signed up for that service closely guarded trade secret i'm sure um sure. now i'm saying 300 300 is my number 300 total. <laughs> yeah, 300 total subscribers. What do you think? Yeah, that's probably overestimating it by about 200. <laughs> um, okay. I, I'm not convinced it's going to pay its way by any stretch. That said, you're right, nostalgia is thick on the ground at the moment. And uh, one of oh, the things that Daryl did talk about when he uh, launched a week or two later on A Current Affair after it actually went live, um, when he launched HeyHey.TV, uh, that they were talking about doing a live tour. Now, mm. lightning gets caught in a bottle so very infrequently, and I'm not sure that you can ship it around the country. I just think they're too slow. And what I mean by slow is just like, if you look at the 2010 revival, mm. um, Daryl has forgotten. I mean, I don't think some would argue he never had it, but I think he's forgotten how to keep a show moving, um, and he can get sort of caught up in sort of details and I remember it looked to, I remember last time I saw it it took him five minutes to explain celebrity head uh, I, I just think that the the pace is not there for it'd be curious I probably would go I mean it's the sort of thing that I would I would do I mean I went to Stuart Wagstaff's memorial I, I go to these sorts of things I'd be curious to see it but I can't imagine it being great entertainment he should host a podcast I'd love to, I would love that. I'd be fascinated. I'd, I'd love to hear some long form interviews with Daryl. Anytime he's on the radio, I do tune in. If I see, you know, he's on 4BC, I work out how to listen to Brisbane radio mm. and make sure that I, I find out what he's doing. Well, even when, like, the interesting thing about Daryl as, as an interviewer is that somehow he manages to weave into a question a great anecdote um, before he gets the, you know, the, the other person the opportunity to speak. He'll tell you about his. Uh, the time when he's such yes. and such, and how did you feel about that? The uh, well, I mean, I, I think I, <laughs> I don't know if we have discussed this separately to um, uh, this conversation, but uh, where he was on, I think it was four BC, mm. and he told an anecdote about when they did some episodes uh, in Hollywood. I think they did two two weeks in Hollywood, and he was talking about how we were, they were on the Warner Brothers lot. Uh, where they'd shot, where yes. they uh, made My Fair Lady and Memphis Belle, and uh, and so he's telling that anecdote. And then about five minutes later, he's talking and he says, "And you know, we we did a couple of weeks uh, in Hollywood. We did it on oh. the uh, Warner's lot where they shot My Fair Lady and Memphis." And I remember I sent a tweet. 
to Full BC saying, "Is Daryl okay?" <laughs> because it's the thing where like that could be your first clue. And, and I don't want to make I don't want to make speak make light of mm. it because it's one of those things where you go, "Oh, that sounds like Alzheimer's," or it's someone who is so you know, swept up in their own kind of mythology mm. that they don't realize or don't care that they've told that anecdote minutes earlier. Yes. That's it. It could be me one day. I can't, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be too critical, but it was a moment where I was like, oh no, oh dear. If that ever happens to me, I will uh, make sure I put rocks in my pockets and walk into the ocean. <laughs> I'll be at your memorial. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you think that there will be one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you, all you have to do, you just do what Stuart Wakestaff did, which is just, you know, you plan everything in advance. You get Marina Pryor on the phone and say, you know, I want you to perform this song. You pay their invoices up um, front. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. No, look, sorry, I'm sounding disrespectful. It was actually a really lovely, very well put together um, memorial that, um, yeah, I don't know if it was televised or anything, but if it's really very good. And an icon in the Australian television industry too. I expect to see his face front and centre along with Richie's in the in memoriam section of the Logies this year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mark, this is a great uh, segue opportunity for us to talk about your earliest memories of television. What what are they within the Humphreys household? Uh, oh, good question. My dad was on television. Um, really? My dad was a weatherman. Yeah, he was a weather presenter on the ABC for about... I think 20 years. The legacy continues. Uh, and then later on, that's it. And then later on, Ostar slash Foxtel on the Weather Channel, when they launched the Weather Channel, he was sort of the um, uh, lead, you know, weather presenter uh, for that. Uh, so, yeah, my memories were my dad, yeah, going off, especially on the weekends, because he had like a, a nine to five job. And then on the weekends, he would do the, the weather in, in, in Sydney. And yeah, um, and so I would occasionally go to the studio with him and watch that happen. And that was very exciting. And I think that that probably kind of planted a seed for me um, to, you know, to lead me down that path myself. So I think that that's one thing. Uh, mother and son absolutely was part of it. Hey, dad. I mean, I was, you know, in terms of like every morning I'd get up and watch Agro's Cut-In Connection. Mm. Um I know there were people who were cheese TV fans. I was an agro kid. Uh, yeah, those are the things. But I have very, very fond memories of watching TV with my parents. And uh, so I still enjoy revisiting the shows that we watched together, like you know, The Golden Girls, as an example. We used to watch Murphy Brown. Sure. Uh, yeah. Mm. All top quality Sorry, entertainment. No, 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 that's totally yeah. fine. Did you ever get mm. to see Boris's Breakfast Club? I don't know what that is. What is that? So it, it, it may have only been a Queensland thing or, or something that may even predate you and your many years, Mark. It was a, a gentleman by the name of Eric Summons who was also mm-hmm. on Wombat um, as uh, one of the presenters, an afternoon kids show made out of Seven Brisbane. Anyway, he created this mm-hmm. character called Boris the Black Knight who was this um, you know, reasonably gruff but very funny um, knight that lived in a castle and he introduced cartoons of a morning, particularly on weekends, and, and, and he kind of predated Agro. Uh, and uh, he had a puppet. Um, someone was a, a puppet monkey called O'Toole, who was his sidekick, and they had quite the banter. And one of the things that the, uh, the crew liked to do was surprise Boris on set, not by jumping out at him, but rather setting small explosives 
that would go off at <laughs> random times. And there's an excellent outtake from Boris's Breakfast Club where, uh, for whatever right. reason, the set, this castle set, and he sat in a throne and all those sorts of things, is strewn with shredded paper. And they've set off these explosions and he's, you know, mandatorily jumped out of the chair and, you know, oh, what's going on and those sorts of things. And this shredded paper caught fire. And so there's, you know, guys in uh, 70s, 80s slacks running in with uh, fire extinguishers, putting out the flames and all of those sorts of crazy things. And Boris initially trying not to break character and then all of a sudden it's all very serious and he's, you know, making sure he's pointing at fires and people are putting them out. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, great. Okay, that's 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 my YouTube uh, video for today. <laughs> Agro was one of those wonderful things that I think worked on a whole bunch of levels. Jamie Dunn, very close personal mm-hmm. friend of Agro, uh, <laughs> delivered some great gags, played it up for the kids, and kids yeah. ate it up. Had the because uh, mm. he was a dirty old man uh, for a middle aged man. Had the very young, good looking, mostly blonde uh, sidekick that Agro played off, mm. and because Jamie's under the yeah. desk. The ladies, there's all sorts of legend that play around aggro. I'm sure you would know some of them and even seen a bunch of the outtakes. The ladies learned very quickly not to wear skirts on set. I bet. Yeah, it was a different time. It was a Rolf Harris time. It was a a Robert Hughes time. Um, But, uh, yeah, I wonder what what does he do? Can you live off aggro royalties? What does he do now? What's, uh... Jamie Dunn, is, he's been bounced through the radio, uh, I guess, market within Brisbane. He was on 4BC Breakfast for a while. He's now on the, the local Indigenous radio station uh, doing breakfast with Ian Calder, Crikey the Clown. Uh, and they are having a lot of fun, as far as I understand, and really encouraging a bunch of uh, new uh, Indigenous radio talent into the market by mentoring them and doing that sort of thing. Uh, right. which is great. Agro still pops up. Uh, they recently had, okay. I think it was the 160 millionth anniversary of B105 launching in Brisbane. Uh, and because Ian Skippen and Jamie Dunn uh, so integral to that with Donald Lynch being the first breakfast show on B105, um, Agro came out of the bag looking pretty ratty, I have <laughs> to say. I don't think anywhere else in the world a hand puppet has hosted a Tonight Show. Uh, a Tonight Show. I don't remember. Did it, when did he host a Tonight Show? Agro did host a couple of Friday night. Uh, Steve, Steve Visard tonight. Oh, when Visard, right? Yeah, sure. Yes, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, I don't think Sooty ever did it. I don't <laughs> think Lamb Chop ever did it. Lamb uh, Chop. No, maybe you're maybe you're right. Um, okay, I'll take that on notice. <laughs> <laughs> Now, okay, given, given that your childhood was linked to the other side of the camera, unlike most people's experience, what was the place of TV in your household? Was it considered work or, or research or just that thing? Or, or how did it how did it work for you guys? Uh, well, I think later on, when it, this was when I was in my teens, though, when my dad was on, uh, uh, when he was doing the Weather Channel, he would watch the Weather Channel a lot um, because he it was his responsibility to kind of just keep tabs on, well, one, obviously, A, the weather, but also <laughs> just how the other presenters were going. Mm. And uh, I remember, you know, I so this is, doesn't paint him in a very positive light. He's, he's a terrific guy, but I remember, you know, he would watch something and, and, and he would, you know, p- pick up on other presenters' little foibles and, uh, you know, make a note of, you know, got to get them to stop stop referring to it as the working week or what have you. It was it's sort of like little pet hates. Mm. Um, but uh, so I remember there was a lot of a few arguments like I don't want to see any more weather. I'm sick of the weather. Do we really need to watch this much weather? <laughs> uh, 
Um, but uh, Mork and Mindy are no, on. Do I have to watch <laughs> the weather? It. But that was, but that was a very specific period in, in his life when he when he really did need to focus on that, and I was just you know disrespectful. And it's the same way now, actually, when I have to watch, you know, like I watch Insiders and the Bolt Report every Sunday morning, for instance. Oh. And you know, my wife is very patient about that, uh, especially the latter half of those two programs. Um, and so I do understand that thing now. I, I now understand what it was like for my dad wanting to watch the show that is actually integral to his career. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's not necessarily great entertainment. So weather and Bolt Report, yeah, no, not great entertainment. Um, but what, what role did it have? I mean, I, just, I, look, I watched so much TV. It was a huge part of my, of my life. I loved it. I loved it. And I, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, so I'll regularly... You know, I love listening to old TV theme tunes. I'm really quite, you know, tragic that way. Um, and I like incorporating references to those shows in, in, you know, in things that I do where possible. Um, you know, I remember doing a story about Julia Gillard being interviewed by Ray Martin. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, there's footage from the 1994 Logies that will go really well in this. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> yeah. And so I, I get a kick out of that sort of stuff. Yeah. There's nothing Does wrong. Does that answer your question? Yeah, totally. There's nothing <laughs> wrong with, with having, you know, a penchant for 80s and 90s TV themes, even 70s TV themes, because uh, as we go back, I mean, there was lots of – I don't think that there's as much effort put into TV themes these days as there was back then. I mean, Sherwood Schwartz yeah. set yeah. the standard by saying, right, the, int the, the, the introduction to the show has to set it up so that anyone that tunes mm. in every week understands the premise of the show. So we've got exactly. the Brady Bunch, totally. Gilligan's Island, all Gilligan. of that sort of yeah. stuff where we have a song that explains the show, done. Mm, completely. Yeah, I think like, you know, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is the first show in a while mm. that's had a really great theme tune. Um, yeah, and then in the 80s there was that period where there was one guy who, and I, I used to know his name and I've forgotten it now, but there's one guy who wrote the theme to Perfect Strangers, Full House, and Family Matters. Oh, that uh, makes and, so much sense. And I wish, yeah, and I think they're all quite, you know, I think they're all, I think those are three of the best, actually. They're all in the they're same key. Catchy. Yeah, well, yeah, completely. Um, and I've always been interested to somehow get in touch with that guy and commission him to write a couple of, <laughs> you, know, you know, specific, you know, okay, it's if, if we were to make a show set in the 80s about blah, can you give me, you know, 30 seconds? Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, a lot of, I've got a lot of time for that. Whatever happened to predictability, Mark? The Milkman, the, the milk Paperboy, paper and so on. Evening TV. Yeah. Not sure about that revival, though. <laughs> Not sure about bringing it back. Look, there's a lot Loved of things. Loved it at the time. Yeah, there's a lot of things. Yeah. People bringing things back are never a good idea. Well, I, I mean, because I, you know, I watched, I used to watch it religiously, uh, for my 21st birthday a few years ago, a friend gave me the first two seasons of Full House on DVD, and it's it's actually bad television. <laughs> it's, it's you know it's it's not, I think as far as the comedy is concerned, it's it's really not funny. Mm -hmm. um, and sorry, I mean this is it's hypocritical for someone in comedy to say that because I'm sure people don't find what I've done funny. But in terms of Full House, it's just it's it's a very it's very dated and very soft. Um, humor and um i don't i couldn't really work out how it succeeded i can't work out what the key to its success was surely it would have been cute factor and the fact that at the time america was looking for really inoffensive comedy uh have a look at hmm. the things it was up against the cosby show family comedy 
there was that. There was um, oh, there was another. Yeah, I mean, like the Cosby show. Yeah, sorry, go. Well, like I mean, growing, growing, growing pains and yes, that was the other one. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cosby Show. I you know I've been rewatching that. Well, I was rewatching it, and then and then some things came out. Um, <laughs> but uh, the uh, yeah, I mean, there was the writing on that. I mean, still, still very, very funny in a way that you know no, the full house is nowhere near. Um, so yeah, still not quite sure how how that worked and how it would work now. What, I mean, you'd have to really because you could like if if you wrote it the same way as it was written then, today's audience, there's no way they'd accept it. I just mm. don't think that they'd buy into it. I, I yeah, don't think anyway. that the, the, this you know nowadays people would accept the premise of the Brady Bunch. Yeah, in what way? What, what what don't you think about? Oh, rich architect working from home with a housekeeper and the kids are all nice. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay, sure. It's the Kardashians, I it was like, but yeah. you know the yeah. kid because that context, Mike Brady would have had to have a lot of money because uh, mm. Mrs. Brady, Carol Brady, didn't work. She just potted around, but they mm. had a housekeeper. I mean, let's be fair. Mm. You're only cooking for seven people, eight people if you include yourself. So. Uh, Lots of families manage that without a housekeeper. So Mrs. Brady's a kept woman. They have a full-time housekeeper. The six kids all get up to hijinks, including forming their own band. It, it's <laughs> Nowadays it would be, you know, little, little. what's the youngest Brady? Bobby Brady's on drugs. He's got an ice mm. addiction. Um, Marsha, in a, a relentless <laughs> attempt to overcome... Uh, not Marsha, Jan, to overcome Marsha's popularity, goes and, you know, posts nude selfies and, you know, gets caught up in some scandal online. It, yeah, whatever. To be fair, the, the the actors who played those roles have gone on to do those things. God bless America. Um, yeah. I didn't watch I'm a Somebody Get Me Out of Here, but I, I, I was I, – I, there was part of me that was kind of – oh, there was, I, was, I was weirdly comforted knowing that Marsha Brady was back on TV even though it was a show that I had no interest in. You missed out on some delightful television <laughs> in I'm a Celebrity. It really was. Did I, though? <laughs> well, it, look, it, as, as far as television goes, it was the most chewing gum ever. Uh, but it was it was fun and light, and it was 10 showing that they could have a go at something different that, uh, you know, distracted people in the right way, in the best way possible, and not okay. for controversy. You know, it was Chrissy Swan and Joel Creasy being hilarious at each other, and we got to see that. It was, uh, you know, what's his name? Barry Hall getting upset because people were sitting on his bed, you know. All, all things that, sure. uh, short of Barry Hall then dropping the shoulder into somebody, um, mm. unexpected. Yeah, right. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I hope it never returns. Uh, well, bad luck for you. Not all TV is for everybody, Mark. That's the golden rule of television. Well, I just, I think it's, it, it's just that thing of, I think it's, a, to me, it's a cynical television. Mm. It's just, uh, I think it's, especially when it's so hard to get uh, scripted content up uh, and you're constantly told, oh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's too expensive to make scripted content. And, I, you know, to send all those people over to Africa yep. and set up an entire operation there and, and the, the fees that they're having to pay to all the talent involved there i mean for what you and the end result that you get is yeah people kind of goofing off you know around each other i, I to me that's it's that's really lazy and mm. I, I actually you know as someone who wants to make content or even just for someone who wants to see other people make content i i i, I think that's really 
uh, you know, lazy, cynical choice by Channel 10 to make that kind of programming. Um, sorry, I brought the tone down. Anyway, let's move on. Let's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, look, it, it's fine, uh, Mark. A question for you, given you know, mm. that some people may recognize you from being on the actual television, how did you get involved with the roast? Uh, I mean, there's a, a, bunch of, a whole bunch of things sort of came together at the right time, I guess. But the, the shortest answer is that I knew Clark Richards, who, um, if you don't know, was one of the um, performers on the roast. And he, when the roast was starting out as a two-minute show on ABC2, uh, he said to me, oh, look, I'm starting on this thing and I think you'd be really good for it. Um, I'll have a word to Charles Firth, the producer, and Nick, the other producer, about you know whether you could come in and you know, do an internship. And so that's how it started. I'm really indebted to Clark. Uh, so I, I started going in yeah, as an intern, I think maybe twice a week or something like that. And while I was still working other jobs, and because it was a quite early start, mm. it was 7 a.m. at the roast. So I was able to do, you know, two or three hours, two, a couple of hours there and then race off to my other job when I was, I was working in PR. Um, and you were working in PR. Point, That's a whole other podcast we have to have. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, it was largely for not, you know, it was largely a not-for-profit uh, organization. So I don't, I, I don't, I'm not in the, I'd like to think I was in the, on the good side of PR. Yeah. Um, you know, it was campaigns for, you know, raising money for research into multiple sclerosis, things like that. It wasn't, you know, sure. it wasn't the sweetie darling, you know, version of PR. Anyway, uh, so, uh, and then eventually it reached a point where um, Charles called me up and, and asked if I, you know, would be interested in coming on full time. And, and really that was it. And so then, you know, I was full time on the two minute version and then, yeah, then it became a ten-minute version, and 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 uh, and so on. And then it became sadly cancelled, uh, a casualty <laughs> of the ABC's cost-cutting measures. Thanks, Liberal government. Um, it, it, absolutely delightful for mine. I really enjoyed the roast. I know lots of other people did as well, and it's good to see that it is continuing, even if only briefly, uh, for the moment with the Guardian Australia. That's a great little pickup. What does that involve for you guys? Um, I mean, it's it's. it's yeah, look, I'm very, very, very grateful to the Guardian for doing that. Uh, it's it's a funny experience. It's been you know, the roast as it was was like a team of 25 people. I'm including you know obviously the team of writers and the producers and cameramen and you know sound and graphics, what have you. What this version of the roast is is me at a computer writing a first draft. Then Evan Williams, who I used to write the, so I used to write the headline segment with Evan Williams and David Ferrier. David's now over in Los Angeles pursuing that, uh, and Evan um, now works full time. So it's not the same setup where we used to have the three of us, you know, writing this segment together. So I, yeah, I write a first draft. Then I meet Evan in the middle of the week uh, for a couple of hours at, after he's finished work, and, and um, you know, we try and add some jokes there. And then the next day I shoot it with, uh, with Nick Richardson and, and, and Nick and I will make any last minute changes. So it's a totally different process. Um, the, you know, the daily element obviously is taken out of it. Mm. So it becomes a kind of thing of like, well, what, what is the roast as a weekly show? Like, because 
day by day, I, 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 you know, I knew how that worked. But if you're only doing it once a week, do you choose one issue and focus on that for five minutes? Do you try and take a bunch of stories from the week and make, you know, a, a segment similar to what the headlines were? I mean, and so, and it's like, well, what, what would people share? Are people going to share a bunch of jokes about the week's news or are they going to share something that, you know, really nails you know, same-sex marriage or whatever, whatever the, the topic is. So that was more the path I went down of, of choosing more or less an issue or an idea each week. Whether that was the right choice, I, I don't really know. But uh, it was, you know, it seems to have done well, you know, reasonably well, but, you know, I haven't set the world on fire. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what that experience has, has been. It's been, yeah, and it's been nice to be able to keep it alive in some respect. But, um, yeah, I... I if it if it if it comes to an end, I think you know, I think we, I'm glad that we got one last chance to give it a go. And are you filming that at the Guardian or in at the Hollowbear Studio? The it's at the our old studios, which uh, are I think yes, it's at the old studios, which which are still intact. Um, I think that building is now um, used by some other company, but they they've kept that studio intact for for whatever reason. So we've we've just been. Um, jumping in there, we were thinking we were going to have to use just a green screen and, and, a, and a still of the old background. Um, but but while the set is still in existence, we've been able to use that. Um, How many more of them are left? But, yeah. Uh, honestly, you've seen the last one. <gasps> uh, no. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's a, that's an exclusive. That's a scoop for you. Yeah. Um, we never wanted to say. Well, I don't know. Sorry, that's not true. It was always going to be a limited run. Mm. Um, and there might be another, it might, I don't actually know, I, I don't know the future, like there, there might be more down the line, but I think that's, that's the end of this run. Um, and it may or may not reappear in some form down the line, but yeah, for the moment, that's, that's what this, that's what the, you know, the Guardian had the money for four weeks. And so that's what we've, that's what we've made. Well, importantly, you got that money, and uh, it's been offshored, I'm sure, to Ireland, um, <laughs> so, so the government can't get their greedy hands on it. Hmm, what, yeah. what does that mean for you then, now, Mark? What are you doing uh, for jobs, or you know, what are you? How are you finding work? Um, well, I guess I, I guess I'm just sort of freelance, and it's and so far it's been it's been okay. I mean, so like I just got cast in an ad. Congratulations! Uh, which thank you uh, for a bank. Uh, I'll tell that story in a moment. Uh, I've been doing, you know, I do the occasional appearance on ABC News Breakfast. At bookstores. Pop, that's it. I do, I've got some couple of emceeing gigs coming up. Uh, and then there's, I've done some work with advertising agencies. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. There's something coming up which is not confirmed, which if it does happen, I'll be very excited to talk about um because it is related to one of my pet favorite things i think we've actually already alluded to it um but uh sorry that's a terrible answer for who, <laughs> who, 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 who listening gives a shit about that anyway so i'm fine it's it's a bunch of little things it's 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 various writing ta- writing jobs and um, but it's not like the, it's not the nine to five or sorry not nine to five but seven to three mm. of the roast um yeah, it's 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 a new experience, which is a little bit scary, uh, but 
has been so far fairly positive. So tell us about this uh, ad that you're going to be in that you're part of the problem for. So I, yeah, so I, uh, I haven't, I've never done an ad uh, and I haven't auditioned for anything for about eight years. I used to think I wanted to be an actor and then I realized, oh no, I just, I just do, I can just do one thing, which is kind of shouty. Um, and yeah, so I just, yeah, I sort of stopped pursuing acting. And anyway, but I got asked to audition for this ad and the role is of a, I think I'm allowed to say this, it should be all right. Um, the role is of a sort of current affairs style reporter. And it's like, oh, right. Okay, that's a stretch. Well, I can just, you know, that's it. I can wear the same suit mm. and do the same thing. And anyway, so I go to this audition and I could not remember a single line. Oh, I had four lines. I could not remember a single Now, I don't know whether it was partly because of I'm so used to maybe using an auto cue and just I, hadn't have to, I haven't had to memorize anything for a long, long time. So I think maybe I'd forgotten how to do it. I also was running late. My bus was late, which meant that I was then running to the, uh, you know, the casting agency. So I was in my suit sweating oh. and it was just, I was disgusting and it was just, I was uncomfortable and, and I got very nervous and all of that. It was sort of, you know, perfect storm. And it was just this disastrous audition and did take after take where I just kept hitting a wall and eventually got, you know, got one in the can that was acceptable. And they were like, you know, the casting agency was like, okay, well, look, thanks very much. You know, we'll, we'll be in touch. And I was like, yeah, bye. <laughs> and I get out of there. And I, I uh, you know, just thought, oh, I'll never. I'll, and it was just that thing of like, I'll never audition again for anything. Like, because <laughs> A, no one will ask me. And, and B, I'll be too psychologically scarred by this experience to ever do anything again. So it's like, okay, I'm just going to draw a line under this. Um, anyway, fast forward a, f- a few days, and then I get an email from the agency saying, oh, hi, can you come in for a callback tomorrow? <gasps> and I checked, the date of, I checked the date of the email, and it was April 1st. And I said, is this an <laughs> April Fool's joke? And they said, no, can you come in at 9? I was like, yeah, so I go, I go into this callback. Now, what was weird this time is that everyone who was auditioning was in the room, um, in the waiting room, and so and they clearly had a, a specific look they were after because it was like walking into a room of ten clones. <laughs> so it was so strange. These guys, just the you know, same age, and in my, um, you know, all in their suits, and, everything. and three of them and recognized no you. <laughs> well, no, no one's talking to each other. Everyone's in their own little world. It was just. Like, yeah, it was just very kind of sinister. Anyway, as that's happening, the lady who had auditioned me the previous week uh, walked through the foyer, sort of scanned the room and then saw me and said, oh, I wasn't expecting to see you here. Oh, oh you know, good, on, good on you for coming back. <laughs> and just like, all right, <laughs> Jesus, don't say that. In the- oh, God. So that's in front of everyone. Oh. And I'm like, so now I'm like, what am I doing here? I should just go home. And anyway, then they call me in uh, and, I, and I did the audition. And, uh, and then, yeah, and then I got the call saying, yeah, you, you got it. So, so that's, I'll do that, uh, I think, tomorrow or the day after that. Um, yeah, so that all's well that ends well. But it, it didn't look good for a while. I can only assume that, and with no disrespect to the other people, I'm, I can only assume everyone else was really bad. Oh. Uh, so. what, well, what you can now live in hope for, Mark, is beyond the actual ad itself and the payment therein, uh, is that this becomes uh, like a series 
for whichever bank is involved in this, that they then have this <laughs> right. reoccurring sure. current affairs character pop up, Please. delivering we'll whatever see. information they need to in an infomercial style manner. Uh, because yeah. I think that that's where the sweet coin is. And then if you're really lucky, uh, it gets mm. attached to some kind of large international sporting event and they have to send you overseas to film some <laughs> part of it while it's taking place so that you get the yep. full advertising experience. Well, if it, you know, but if it never sees the light of day, just assume that on the day of shooting, I choked <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then they replaced me oh. with someone else. Uh, One of the many clones <laughs> sitting outside. Exactly. I I'm hope that they have them just lined up in suits so that they can just Oh, next. please. Yeah. I, that would be a very just, good gag in and of itself. They just, they, just add they just add water and they, uh, you know, they come to life. If you could get three or four people that look very, very, very similar and put them in the same suit and then cut to them, uh, from you know, in a series of vignettes, like they were meant to be the same person to see how many people actually caught on they weren't the same person. That would be delightful. I they'd be they'd be my own Dado brothers. Yeah, oh. um, yeah, that's it. Now, Mark, we, we're fresh out of time, unfortunately. Uh, can we? Can oh. I get you back on the podcast to talk more uh, in the very near future? Oh yeah, I've got far too many opinions and nowhere to put them. So please. <laughs> Please, whenever you, whenever you need me, I'll be there. Well, you're right at home, let me tell you, on Monk's TV Talk, the <laughs> podcast then. Get all your TV news at MonkstvTalk.com. Mark, for those that are interested in following, finding your work and uh, generally being appeased of your Eurovision opinions, how can they find you and follow you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Humphreys Mark. I'm on Facebook at Mark Humphreys Comedy and... Uh, yeah, that'd be terrific, but no pressure. It's all right. <laughs> Do it or not, you know, feel good about yourselves, you hippie. That's it, wow. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, check out the videos on The Guardian. That'd be nice. Definitely. Hit that share button. Yes, do that yeah. a lot. The more that you share Mark's work, the more chance he has to feed his wife a meal. That's exactly it. That's it, yeah. Because I, I need a reason to watch The Bot Report. Because oh. if there's no roast, you know, then I'm just watching it as a hobby. Uh, and that's and then who am or is a concerned of Australian and then you're really <laughs> yes. in trouble. Oh yeah, yeah we need I to mean, talk about uh, that. That's a separate podcast. Yeah, I, I, I could I would gladly do an hour on the Bolt Report. Yeah, I, well, um, that's booked in. We're happening. It's a thing. Yeah, we'll make that. My happen. main thing. I'll just say I'll, I'll say this. What I'll say quickly about the Bolt Report. One is it's. I know I say this a lot. One is it's. It, my, one of my problems with it is, is it's bad television. Just in the sense that he is very uncomfortable as a presenter yes. uh it's slow it's clumsy it's awkward um he tries to go for laughs where laughs aren't there um he, and he, the people he brings on with him create a weird kind of energy to the to the to proceedings the other thing is that just generally with bolt is what i've observed is that what his sort of mission is he loves pointing out a, a kind of version of hypocrisy which ultimately doesn't matter. And what I mean by that is like, if people are critical of something that Tony Abbott does, he will go and dig up, oh, look what Julia Gillard did that was similar and there wasn't the same response. And you kind of go, yeah, but don't worry about it. Um, like, it's just not important to, so I don't know if that really makes, if I've made that clear, that idea, but just it's always looking for um, Oh well, if you think that's bad, how about I? How about this clip from two thousand and seven? When it's just like, 
you know what, you just need to deal with what's happening in the moment. And it's, there's not much value in keep digging up these old examples. So his main thing, I think, is always just, here's, you know, if you hated this, here's something else that you should have hated. Yes. Well, we can unpack more yeah. of that joy in an unco- upcoming episode of Mox TV Talk, the podcast. Mark, thank you and everyone else for joining us this week on Mox TV Talk, the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Mox TV Talk. Find me on Facebook and Instagram at thosethings.com slash TV Talk. New episodes are out Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, and please do leave a sweet review. Tune in next week when you'll hear Mark Humphreys say, For the roast and Mox TV Talk, I'm Mark Humphreys. Good night.